right now during the times of the three weeks, getting ready for, uh, for Tisha B'Av. And uh, the truth is, there's no greater way to prepare ourselves for, the, for that really special and amazing day that's Tisha B'Av than getting together, than getting together in all sorts of ways, you know? It's like, it's a funny dynamic, you know, Tisha B'Av begins with saying, Echa Yashobada, that didn't describe themselves. We all sit together and we talk about how alone we are. So I think Zoom is a shtigal like that, you know what I'm saying? Because we're, we're connected right now, we're all still kind of alone. So it's probably a good way to uh, prepare ourselves for uh, an amazing day that's called Tisha B'Av. So let me begin, let me begin by talking about, let me begin like, I'll, I'll begin the way speeches usually end. You know, by Kali Yisrael, one of the classic ways how we end the speech is, and we should be zaycha, to see the gula hashlema v'meheira v'yameinu amein. V'meheira, quickly, v'yameinu in our days. So if you think about that, it's a little bit of a funny way how to end it. When you say the word v'meheira, so that means you want gula to come quickly. You want it to come as quickly and as hastily as possible. But then you add in the word v'yameinu, which means uh, in our days. In our days means it doesn't have to be this second. It's as long as I'm alive, within my lifetime, I'll be happy. It's a very, very strange thing. Like everyone knows Lubavitch Rebbe, for example, he would, when he would talk about Gula, he would talk about it being Lahalter, Mamish, Mamish, this, this very second. And so even if you don't want to say Mamish, this very second, but why take away from the Bimehera by adding the word Bimehera? If you keep the word Bimehera, it means as fast as possible, which, means, uh, which, which should mean right away. But all of a sudden, when you add the word Bimehera, it already, tell, it already is trying to indicate that on the one hand, we want Mashiach to come as quickly as possible, but we also don't want to rush it. We want Mashiach to come in its right time, but we want the right time to be as soon as possible, and it should still be in its right time. You know, you know, the Pasuk says that, that the Rabbanu Shalom promises Mashiach will come, bi'ita achishana. In its time, I will hasten it. So everyone knows the Gemara tells us that bi'ita achishana means two things. Chazal darshan, be'ita achishana means that if we're not zaycha, then Mashiach will come be'ita in its predestined time. If we're zaycha, it'll be achishana. There's a tar from the Vilna Goyen, the Vilna Goyen said that the words be'ita achishana, what's the simple taich, the simple pshat? The drush of Chazal are if you're zaycha, if you're not zaycha, but what's the simple, simple pshat? So the Vilna Goyen said that be'ita achishana on a simple level means that Mashiach will always, Mashiach is going to come in its right time but its right time will be hastened. So there is such an Indian of there being a predestined time for the coming of Mashiach. And we do not want Gula to come before its predestined time. It's just that through our tefillahs and our vayda, what we want to happen is that whatever needs to be accomplished in that predestined time, we want that to happen earlier than later. But there's a certain, there are certain things that have to be met in order for Mashiach to come, and those things to be met, that's called the predestined time. What we do not want is for Mashiach to come before those conditions are met. What we want is that Mashiach should come with those met conditions, but those met conditions should not take thousands of years. It should come as quickly as possible. But when we say the words, we're indicating this point, which is we want it to come quickly but we recognize that there are things that have to be accomplished in order for Mashiach to come, and we don't want Mashiach to come sooner than that. And this is really what I want to speak about now for, for, for a little bit, is what exactly does this mean? What are the 
What are some of the conditions that need to be met in order for Gula to take place? And what's so bad? What's so bad if Mashiach comes before its right time, before its predestined time? What's so bad about that? You know, the, 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 the time, the, 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 it's an interesting thing. A person always has to look at the world around us and sort of learn from there what the Rabbanu Shalom wants of us. The, the tkufa that we're in right now, when I say tkufa, I don't mean the time of the year in particular, but just the generation that we're in right now is the generation that's very much focused on things happening quickly. Things happen quickly. It's usually, it's usually described as the chasarn of the generation, that everything comes quick. Everything is quick. There's no patience. There's no, there's no uh, uh, you know, people don't have any attention span with technology, v'chulu, v'chulu, everything is at the, the click of a, of a button. You know, everything is immediate, everything's immediate. But there's two ways to look at that. You could look at that in a superficial way and just, okay, it is what it is. And you could say the causes for that are technology and the advancements of society and v'chulu, v'chulu, and there'll be good things that come of it and a lot of negative things that come of it. But that's not the way Yidin are supposed to look at things. The way we're supposed to look at things is that everything we see in the world around us should be viewed as a reflection of something going on in the inner workings of the neshama. And if the world around us is a world and a society which is all about things happening quickly, it means that there's something going on within the nefesh, within the collective soul of the Jewish people that also wants gula to happen quickly. Things are speeding up. And so our avayda in this time is interesting. And this is, the, this is what I want to speak about, which is that on the one hand, we want Mashiach to come quickly. And everything about the world right now is focused on things happening quickly. And so if that's the focus of society, then we have to learn from that, that Hashem is also telling us something, that we also have to make things happen quickly. But yet, as I mentioned before, we do not want Gula to happen before it's time. We, whatever whatever conditions need to be met for Gula to take place in a full, matured way, that's what we want to happen. We want that to happen quickly. And so there is such a thing that we want Gula to happen, but we want to make sure that the quickness and the hastefulness of Gula is one that doesn't sacrifice the, the necessary requirements in order to make sure that it's a full Gula. We know that Mitzrayim, for example, was not a full gula because it was bichipazim. It was quick, and the quickness of the gula of Pesach, the gula of Mitzrayim, was such that it, it did, it, 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 there was a sacrifice that was made not to meet the full requirements of a mature gula, and that's why it did not ultimately lead to a full gula. Our gula that we're looking for now, we want it to be quickly, like I said, the Mehera, but we recognize that that nihirus, that quickness that we all want to experience, it should not sacrifice the necessary components and requirements that a full gula of bi'ita has to hit. And so this is what we have to discuss. What does that mean exactly? What are these requirements? What does a gula of bi'ita achishana look like? And what's our particular avayda to make sure that we have a gula quickly, but a gula that's, that, that's a gula shlema quickly? Okay, so let me share with you a Torah that we have from the Vilna Gaon. This is not a, a simple idea. So just a, a small part of it, and then we'll spend some time trying to, to learn this and to figure this out. The Vilna Gaon taught the following side. Now, this is a, it's a little bit of a shocking idea, 
The Vilna Gaon said there are two basic tracks, there are two basic benchmarks that need to be met in order for Gula to take place. One benchmark is a benchmark that we're all familiar with. We not, might, we're not God, so we don't know exactly when this benchmark is hit, but one benchmark is that all of Kalah Yisrael have to accomplish certain things in terms of Torah and mitzvahs. There's certain, there certain amount, there's certain amount of Torah that needs to be learned. There's a certain amount of mitzvahs that need to be kept, a certain amount of mysterious nefesh that needs to be offered up. There's a certain quota of avayda that needs to be on, on, the, on, on the part of Kalah Yisrael that needs to be offered to the And when that quota is met, that satisfies that condition of what's called a gula shleim. Now, that's why, you know, even as small children, you'll, you know, there's like songs about, you know, that every mitzvah you do puts a brick in the base of English. There is a certain amount of Avaidus Hashem that needs to be offered up and performed by Kalah Yisrael collectively and individually in order for that Gula Shleim to take place. And until that quota is met, the Gula, gula Shleim, it won't be. And Kalah Yisrael are not settling for anything less than a Gula Shleim. The Southern Vilna Gaon, there's another quota, there's another you know, sort of benchmark that needs to be hit in order for a Gula Shleim to take place. And that, said the Vilna Gaon, is that the Nisham of Maisha Rabbeinu, the Nisham of Maisha Rabbeinu needs to enter into the world a certain amount of times. We know there's such an idea as a Gilgul, yeah? So without getting into the Sukhya too much, we know there's such an idea of reincarnation. And the Vilna Gaon taught that Maisha Rabbeinu, the Nisham of Maisha Rabbeinu, needs to be reincarnated in this world 50 times. 50 times in order for that Geula Shlema to take place. These are two separate quotas. There's a quota of Avodah Hashem that the Jewish people have to offer in terms of Torah and Mitzvahs and Messias Nefesh, Aleph. And Bez, the Jewish people have to be proper vehicles and, and Kalim to receive the Nisham of Maisha Rabbeinu 50 times. And only after the Nisham of Maisha Rabbeinu can enter into the generation 50 times, only then can then be that benchmark be met, and then the Gula Shlema can take place. The, the Vilna Gain, in fact, wrote that it's extremely likely that the first quota of Torah Mitzvahs and Messias Nefesh might have been met already. And what's taking longer, what's pushing off Gula, and what we're really waiting for is not all the bricks to be put in the base of Megdash. What we're, made, what we're waiting for is the Neshama of Maisha Rabbeinu to be fully unpackaged for those 50 Gilgulim to take place. And said the Vilna Gain, in order for Maisha Rabbeinu, for, for, for a 50th of his Neshama to be unpackaged in any particular generation, you need the generation to be receptive to it. There's a certain, there's a certain uh, quality of Maisha Rabbeinu that the generation has to be open to in order for his Neshama to enter into that particular generation. And if the generations are not receptive to it, then Maisha Rabbeinu is waiting. And if Maisha Rabbeinu is waiting, it means Gula is waiting. That's what the Vilna Gaon taught. <clears throat> now to deepen this a little bit more, there's a Torah from the Kamarna. <clears throat> the Kamarna taught that uh, he brings down a Maisa from the Naimel Melech. The uh, Naimel Melech said that it was revealed to him in a vision that it was, it was revealed to him in a vision, a vision of the third base of English. And the Rebbe Melech said, the Rebbe Melech said that that vision of the third base of Mikdash that he saw, it had everything. It had everything. It had the Menorah and it had the Mizbeach. It was mamish uh, good to go. So said the Rebbe Melech to the Malachim over there or whatever, yes, no, so what's, what's, what's taking so long? So he said, Rebbe, let, let us show you something. 
So they bring him in from the, you know, they bring him into the walls of the Harabais, and he sees the Chatzar all the way into the Heichal, and then he enters into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And the Kodesh HaKadoshim is completely empty. There's nothing there. It's just an empty space. There's nothing there. There's no Aaron. There's no walls. The Kodesh HaKadoshim was missing. So the Nehemiah Melch asked the Malach, what's going on over here? And so they said, this is what's missing in order, that, that's holding back Gula, that's holding back the Beis HaMikdash. What's missing is the Aaron HaKadosh. Said the Kamarna, the Hechel Abracha writes, the Kamarna Rebbe says that that missing Aaron means the full, the full, the full unpackaging of the Neshama of Maishar Abbeinu. Maishar Abbeinu is the Aaron of the Beis HaMikdash. So when we talk about the Beis HaMikdash needing to be rebuilt, you know, that every year uh, adds a little bit to that Beis HaMikdash, it's in two dimensions. There's the structure of the Beis HaMikdash, which needs to be built by our Torah and Mitzvahs and Messias Nefesh. And maybe that's been done already. It could be. But what also needs to be built in the Beis HaMikdash is the Aron HaKadosh. And that Aron means the second quota of the Vilna Gain, the Neshama of Maishar Rabbeinu. It says in Pasuk that Maishar Rabbeinu spoke to the Rabbana Shalom between the two Kruven, between the two Cherubs, the Aron HaKadosh. It's brought down the storm, the words Mibain Shnei HaKruvim is Rosh Teva's Moshe, which means that that wasn't just a spot that Moshe Rabbeinu communicated to Rabbi Shalom at that, you know, through. That spot was Moshe. The Rambam writes, for example, in his commentary to, uh, to uh, Perachelik and Sanhedrin, to Mishnayis, the Rambam says that although the Kain Gadol was only allowed into the Kaddish HaKadshim once a year, Moshe Rabbeinu can go in whenever he wants. Mibain Shnei HaKruvim. Moshe Rabbeinu is the orange. And so this in that vision that, that the Neumann Melech was shown of the third base Amidish being complete but missing an Aaron, that's, con that's connected to this teaching of the Vilna Gain, that there's such an Indian of the, the quota that needs to be met in terms of the collective Avodis Hashem and Torah Mitzvah of Kali Yisrael, but there's also that quota of Nishmas Moshe Rabbeinu to be fully unpackaged. And until that Nishama is fully unpackaged, which means the building of the Aaron in the third base Amidish, Geula Shlema it won't be. And Kali Yisrael have already collectively decided, and it's been decided for us, that when it comes to the final gula, it has to be a gula shlom. And so this is what I wanted, we have to delve a little bit deeper into this. What is this Indian? What is this Indian of Moshe Rabbeinu? What is this Indian that, that we need in order to have a gula shlema? It's not enough to have Torah mitzvahs and Avedis Hashem, you know, to hit that quota. There needs to be, we also need to become proper vehicles and receptacles for Nishmas Maisha to be fully unpackaged. What does Maisha Rabbeinu mean? What does it mean? Why is Maisha Rabbeinu connected to the Aaron? And why is this such a necessary point? Now, in order to begin to unpackage this sugya, now by the way, I hope I'm being clear. If, again, if there's any questions, uh, I guess you can unmute yourself and ask. But uh, I'm just going to keep on going. You know what I'm saying? So that's one of the miles of Zoom, where like you could just you know keep the video on, close your screen, and just go to bed. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just going to keep on going. We'll see where it takes us. Within reason, of course, don't worry. So it's like this. In order to fully unpackage the sugya, let's take, let's take a, a maisa that we find in Chomish, not too long ago, from a few parashas ago, and use that story to sort of investigate this in. <clears throat> so we know a few parashas ago, there was a rebellion against Maishar Ben. There was a rebellion against Maishar Ben, led by Kairach, led by Kairach. Now, what exactly was that rebellion about? So again, you read the Psukim, it's very unclear what the rebellion was about. Kairach just says to Maishar Beinu, every Jew is holy, you Maishar why are you taking positions of leadership? Every Jew is holy. And in Chazal, we find a little bit more detail in terms of what was bothering Kairach so much. 
that he felt that he should be the Kain Gadol, and it bothered him that Aaron was the Kain Gadol. But it, it, it's still missing. There's still something missing over there. What's really fundamentally going on in that rebellion of Kairach? And we have to appreciate this. Kairach was not a small person. The Sanhedrin that teamed up with Kairach were not small people. So what's going on over here? What was really bothering Kairach? So I mentioned the Kamarna, right? the Kamarna Rebbe that brought down that vision of the Naimele Melech. The Kamarna quotes in Parsha's Kairach an unbelievable revelation. It's based on their result. And the Kamarna teaches as follows. We know that when Mashiach comes, there's such a tradition going to that result that halacha will, you know, there's going to be some changes to some degree, right? Everyone knows that nowadays we pass from like Beishilal over Beishami, yeah? But it's also well known when Mashiach comes, we'll pass from like Beishami over Beishilal. That's one of the, that's a famous change. But there's other, there's other changes. Arizal said that when the coming of Mashiach takes place, the Levim, the Levim will be Kahana. The Levim will be gone. Now says the Kamarna, based on that and based on other teachings as well, this is what was bothering Kairach. Kairach understood this Torah that we mentioned from the Zolagon. And Kairach knew that in order for Geula Shlema to take place, we have to now reach two quotas. There's the quota of Torah Mitzvahs of Klai Yisrael, and then there's the quota of Nishmas Maishar Beinu to be unpackaged. And Kairach realized just like the Vilna Gain and the story of the Nehemiah points out, Kairach realized that the first quote of Torah Mitzvah and Messias Nefesh of Kali Yisrael, that could be met relatively quickly. But what's going to take so long, what's going to be pushing off Gula for millennia, is what? Is Moshe Rabbeinu needing to unpackage all of his Kairachs. And therefore, said the Kamarna, this was Kairach's rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. The rebellion of Kairach was not just against, it wasn't against Yiddishkeit, it didn't start off like that. The rebellion of Kairach began with a, it, it was actually coming from a good place in a certain sense. It was coming from a desire from Geula to take place quickly. It was coming from Rachmanis over the Jewish people. And Kairach understood that it's Moshe's fault that Geula is going to take so long. It's Moshe's fault. And this is how he expressed that by fighting against the Kahuna, because Kairach was a lady. And the fact that Aaron is a Kayan and he is the one in charge and the Levium are second class citizens, Karach saw that as a reflection of the Rabbana Shloylam going along with Moshe Rabbeinu's plan, which is Gula is not happening right now. And Karach said, well, let's get rid of Moshe Rabbeinu because Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that's holding back Gula. And if we get rid of Moshe Rabbeinu, then all Kolei Dukum Kedoshim, then as the Dardaya, we can fulfill the initial quota of Torah Mitzvah and Kali Yisrael. And guess what? We'll be able to get us to Gula Shlema. And when we get to Gula Shlema, the Levim will be gone. And this is the oimik of what it means that Karach wanted to be the Kain Gadol himself. It wasn't necessarily coming from that self, simple selfishness of I want to be in charge. Him not being the Kain Gadol meant Gula is not happening yet. And he understood the reason why Gula is not happening yet is Moshe Rabbeinu is holding things back. Because Moshe Rabbeinu means we have this other quota to hit and that's going to take a long time. And so the Karach's rebellion was, what do we need that for? You have enough Torah mitzvahs, end it. What do you need Moshe Rabbeinu? So I, I, I'm told this, I appreciate Moshe Rabbeinu, you're a big tzaddik. But I'm sorry, you're standing in front of Gula. You're holding Gula back. And guess what? Moshe Rabbeinu did not respond to Karach you're being ridiculous, you're way off. Moshe did not say that to Karach. Moshe says to Karach, you're right. Everything you're saying is correct. 
it's taka because of me, that gula is going to take much longer. But you should know, I'm not making this up. This is the Rabbanishalim's decision that gula should, should require my neshama to be fully unpackaged and come back to the world 50 times. That's not my decision. This is the Rabbanishalim. The Rabbanishalim made Aaron the Kayan and you the second level tier called a lady. It wasn't my decision at all. But he, what he's saying to Karach is, but, but Karach was right. The Cheshman of Karach was correct. The mistake that Karach made was to think that this is Moshe Rabbeinu's own doing. So here's the amazing, the, the amazing, amazing phenomenon that we have. On the one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu is, to say such a thing, Moshe Rabbeinu is the, is the reason why, Gula's, why, why Mashiach has not come yet. Moshe Rabbeinu is what's pushing Gula off. But yet, Mitzat Shani, what's an amazing thing to think about this, the, the, the irony of it, is that Moshe Rabbeinu is the redeemer. Moshe Rabbeinu is completely all about Gula. Moshe is all about Gula. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to take us out of Mitzrayim, right? He fought against Hashem for seven days. Why? Chazal say because Moshe Rabbeinu understood that if he takes us out of Mitzrayim, the Chipazin, it won't be a Gula Shlema. And Moshe Rabbeinu wants Gula. Like Moshe Rabbeinu says, some of my best friends are, are, are redeemers. You know what I'm saying? Like, Moshe Rabbeinu is very into Gula. And so you have this funny, even Mashiach himself, according to Chazal, according to the Svarmak Vashem, is going to be a reincarnation, that 50th reincarnation of Moshe Rabbeinu. It says in Kehelis, Misha Yehushi, the one that was, is the one that will be. Misha HaYehu is Rosh Moshe. Moshe is the first redeemer, Moshe is the last redeemer. So we have to understand this. If Moshe Rabbeinu is, the whole Indian of Moshe Rabbeinu is Gula, his whole shlichus in the world is to bring Gula. Yet, the, the very reality of the Neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is all about redemption, is actually pushing off redemption. So what is this Indian? What's this Indian of Moshe Rabbeinu? And why, why is it so necessary for him to be unpackaged? But now that we have that story of Kairach, and that was ultimately the rebellion of Kairach against Moshe Rabbeinu, now we have at least a Marmach. Now we have a place to begin to, under, to, to unpackage that Sunni. And the way we're going to unpackage it is the following way. We know the Rabbani Shalom always works with me, the Kinegamid, the measure for measure, which means that if Kairach's rebellion and his Avera was, was devaluing, was underestimating the great significance and importance of Moshe Rabbeinu and his, and that benchmark that's needed for Gula Shlema, Kairach is maching it, right? He was saying it's insignificant, it's unimportant. What do you need it for? It's just doing, it's just holding us back. The Rabbanu always works measure for measure, which means that in the punishment of Kairach, we'll be able to figure out why is Moshe Rabbeinu so necessary? And why is that benchmark of Moshe Rabbeinu so essential for there to be a Gula Shlein, right? Because again, let's understand, if Kairach's rebellion, was, if, his, if his sin was, was, was taking away the value of that benchmark, of that Gula that's coming mitzad Moshe Rabbeinu, then his punishment is going to be the way from, for us to be able to figure out why the Neshama Moshe Rabbeinu is so important, why that benchmark is so vital. So let's learn about the punishment of Kairach and, and his demise. So everyone knows, right? So the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, that because of what you're doing, the earth is going to swallow you up and you'll be lost forever. <clears throat> but let's understand a little bit deeper what that punishment was. We'll investigate this. Again, this is one of my favorite things to do. So... You'll forgive me if, uh, you know, if this seems a little bit funny, but let, I want to learn a little bit of sugi and halacha for just a few minutes, learn something in halacha that's relevant to the punishment of Kairach. And what I always tell the Chavrin Shul, it's a very big aside, 
is that Torah is one. There's no, there is no true divide between halacha and pnimis. Halacha is the body of Torah, and pnimis is the neshama of Torah. And the neshama has to communicate itself through the body. And so to understand properly what, what, what the soul of Torah is telling us, you have to have a healthy body. And so let's learn a little bit of sugi and halacha. And from there, hopefully we'll be able to hear a little bit clearer what the neshama of Torah is telling us in this story of Kaira. Okay. So far, so good? Everyone following? Okay, so it's like this. In the Pasuk, when it describes Moshe Rabbeinu, we know after Karach begins his rebellion, so he offers an olive branch, right? So he, he invites Das and Aviram and all the, uh, the inner circle over there to come meet him and talk to him, and uh, the door is slammed in his face. He's rejected. So it says in Pasuk, it says in Pasuk in Parshish Karach, that Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people the following statement. After it's clear that Kairach and his Hever are not interested in, in having any discussions, their rebellion, they're stark in their rebellion. So Moshe says, Remove yourself from the vicinity of these people. Don't touch any of their property. Lest you'll be swallowed up in all, in all their sins. So he tells everyone to stay back to get out of their Daladams. What is the meaning of that? So we know if you take a look in Targum Yonis and Benozil, uh, Targum Yonis is a translation of Chumash. It's not just a strict translation. It's, it, 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 it weaves in Tarsh Balpeh as well from Har Sinai. So Targum Yonis translates this Pasuk in the following way. That Moshe Rabbeinu tells everyone to back off, move yourself from their vicinity. Why? Begin came, said Targum Yonis for the following reason, because Chazi Linidu because these people are worthy of being punished with nidoy and cherem. What's a cherem? Cherem means excommunication. In other words, what Targum Yonison ben Azil is telling us is that the fundamental punishment of Kairach and his whole assembly was ultimately the greatest level of cherem, of excommunication. Usually, I mean, God forbid, you know, if a person is excommunicated, one of the basic halachas, as we'll see in a second, is that you have to be out of the person's Daladamas. You can't be within the Daladamas. There can't be any contact. The person is quarantined. He's off limits. He's, he's, he's excommunicated. Karach was excommunication to an extreme. The greatest extreme where literally he's lost from the assembly that he's swallowed up from the earth. But that swallowing of the earth was not just simply killing him. Uh, the Rebbe could kill him in many ways. That was, that was taking the Cherem, that punishment of Cherem, just with farthest extreme, that he's could always off limits, and he's always excommunicated. So let's investigate that sugya of cherem, of excommunication. It's not a, it's not a pleasant uh, topic to talk about for five minutes, but let's talk about it for a few minutes, and that will be the way to really understand, because again, let's go back. If Kairach's rebellion was rebelling against this inyan of Geula, the, that's that, the component of Moshe Rabbeinu in Geula, and his punishment now is cherem, so it must be that in the halachas of Cherem, we'll be able to see why that nekud of Moshe Rabbeinu was so important in Yulah. Because again, the Rabbanu Shalom always works with the Negadimida. It's not a random response. If the response to Karach is Cherem, it means Cherem is the lesson we can learn from Cherem, from those halachas of Cherem, why Nishmas Moshe is so important when it comes to Yulah. So let's, let's talk about the halachas of Cherem for two minutes. Okay, so it's like this. Uh, in Shulchan Aruch, there's a couple simanim about, about the halachas of Cherem in Shulchan Aruch. In, uh, it's in Yerdea Shem Lamed Dalet. So it's like this. In Shulchan Aruch, it says the following halach. 
Hamenuda. Let's get some of the basic ideas down. Um, again, Hamenuda says the Shulchan Aruch, someone that is excommunicated. Now, why would a person be put in cherem? There's all sorts of reasons. Again, nowadays, you know, God forbid such a thing should take place. Nowadays, we don't really have strong Besdins like we used to, but we're talking about, you know, when you had a real Besdin and a real control over a community, so there's such a thing as a cherem. A person could be excommunicated for a number of reasons. Once a person is in cherem, these are the halach, says the Shulchan Aruch, Hamenuda, someone that's in cherem, you are not allowed to be within his Dalad Amis. His immediate family is fine, but outside of the immediate family, you have to be outside of the Dalad Amis. You can eat with him. You can drink with him. In other words, you can't have the Suda together, even if you're not technically within Dalad Amis. It's also a problem. He doesn't count for a Zimon. He doesn't count for a Minion either. He's excommunicated. He's off limits. There's no contact. There's no contact anymore. You can't be in his Daladamas. You can't talk to him, obviously. You can't eat with him. He's not part of the minion. He's off limits. Those are the halachas of what the repercussions are for Cherem Midarais. Then the Shulchan Aruch goes on to say that Midrabanon, Chazal added a bunch of stuff to. And what's interesting is, is that Chazal added halachas to a person that's in Cherem in the following way, says the Shulchan Aruch, the Aser, Midrabanan, Chazal added the following Chumras. Aser b'tach b'ayses, he's Aser to launder his clothing. Uva taspiris, he's Aser to get a haircut. Uva ne'ilas a sandal, he can't wear leather shoes. Ke'avil, just like an oven. So in other words, Midrabanan, what Chazal did is that they weren't satisfied with the, with the halachas Midraisa of him just being by himself without any social interaction. Chazal put upon him Midrabanan, a certain, certain halachas of an oven. So, that, uh, like Shiva, Lo'aleinu, that a person can, uh, that, that, that doesn't do laundry, doesn't wear clean clothing, doesn't get a haircut, and doesn't wear leather shoes. And the Shulchan Aruch goes on to say that there, those are those are halachas of an oven that are put upon him, other halachas not. So, for example, an oven can't learn Torah, a person that's in Cherem is still allowed to learn Torah, but that's the Darabon. I say, here's a question number one. Whenever Chazal make Darabonans, it's always and Daraisa. It's always trying to either protect the Daraisa, enhance the Daraisa. Chazal are only motivated to add Darabonans when they see something missing. When the Daraisa either is not strong enough or it's not clear enough what its objective is. And so Chazal will add Darabonans to enhance the Daraisa. The question is, what exactly did Chazal see so deficient in the Daraisa level of Cherem that they need to put on these particular chumras of an oval. And what's that is the halachas of an oval, of all the, of all the um, you know, yeah, an, of all the uncomfortable things that a person could be, uh, could be required to go through. Why these halachas? What, what, what is it about the halachas of an oval that Chazal saw as a shidduch with a person in Cheyron? It's question number one. Question number two. There's a pasik in Sefer Ezra. It's a whole nice in Sefer Ezra where you have a, uh, a story where the Jewish people return to Eretz Yisrael to rebuild the second base of Megdash. And the uh, situation is a lot of Yidin unfortunately came back, married non-Jewish women. And so the Sanhedrin over there are now with a task to uh, fix that problem. So the Pasuk says like this, it's a Pasuk in Sefer Ezra. The Pasuk says as follows. Let me find a few. Yeah, it says like this. The Sanhedrin made the following proclamation. 
They said the following thing. Any year, we're going to convene in three days from now, we're going to fix the issue. Any Jew that doesn't come within in three days from now to be part of the uh, tikkun that we're going to do and part of the takanis that we're going to establish, which is, and if a person doesn't come, which is against the will of the Sanhedrin, all of his property should be Yechram, should be Cheyrem Yechram Kol Rechusha. That's what the Pasuk says. Now, what does that mean, Yechram Kol Rechusha? It says, Yushalmi in Meseches Nedarim. Yushalmi in Meseches Nedarim says, Yechram Kol Rechusha means that the person will be put in Cheyrem. And Yechram Kol Rechusha is telling us that part of the halacha of being in Cheyrem is that your possessions are Aser Bahano that no one is allowed to have benefit from anything you own. Yechrem kol ruchusha. So it's not just about you being uh, excommunicated. Kol ruchusha. Your possessions are also asr bana. You have this idea in halacha of something being asr bana. I could make a nether, for example, and say upon myself that all apples are asr for me. Uh, you, you could do that. I could say, uh, I'm, I'm asering Ruven's apples on me. I'm asering my apples on Ruven. You can make things that are asr bana. There's such a thing. So says the Yishalmi, Yechrem kol ruchusha means that part of the halachs of Cheyrem, or maybe the Cheyrem of the Sanhedrin, is that his property is Aser Ba'na's Yachrem Kol Okay, fine. The problem is like this. There's a Gemara in Gittin, which talks about a famous concept, which is called Hefker Bezin Hefker. What's Hefker Bezin Hefker? So Hefker Bezin Hefker means that we know there's such a thing as private property. I own, my, my chair is my chair, and if you take my chair, you're a gun. But there is such a thing is that Bezin has the right to be mafked your, 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 your objects. Be- Bezin come and say, you know what? It's your chair, it's not true, but we need it. And all of a sudden, Bezin can take your chair. Bezin can make it theirs. Or Bezin can give it to someone else. Hefka, Bezin, Hefka. Says the Gemara in Gidin, Omer Yitzchak, said, How do I know that Chazal can just come to your objects and just take it away from your possession and give it to someone else or make it Hefka? How do I know? Says Rabbi Yitzchak, Shenamar, that plus it can say for Ezra, whoever doesn't show up in three days, his property is Yechram. And says Rabbi Yitzchak, that's the source of Hefker Bezin Hefker. In other words, on a simple level, Rashi over there, the simple Taish of the Gemara means that Rabbi Yitzchak is telling us that the Pasuk means what? That the Sanhedrin said, whoever doesn't show up in three days, his possessions are Hefker. Yechram Kalruchusha means. His possessions are Hefker, it's up to the taking, anyone can take it, whatever they want. And that's the source of Hefker Bezin Hefker. So we have a little bit of a steerer. What does the Pasig mean, Yechrem Kalruchusha? The Rishalmi in Mesech Zadarim seems to, to learn that Yechrem Kalruchusha means that anyone that doesn't show up, him and his possessions are in Cheyrem. And what does Cheyrem mean? It means no one's allowed to touch his property. His property is off limits. The Bavli in Mesech Zadarim is saying Yechrem Kol is a source of Hefker Bezin Hefker, which means that Yechrem Kol means his property is Hefker. Anyone can take it. It's not his anymore. Just barge into his house and take his menorah. It's good to go. So which one, what does the Pasuk mean? Does it mean that he's, that, that, that there's a chair upon him and everyone is not allowed to take his possessions? Or does it mean his possessions are Hefker and it's up, up for grabs? So you could say it's Machlag is Bavli Yushalm. But the problem is the same Yerushalmi in the Seches Gidden also brings this Pasuk as a source of Hefker Bezin Hefker. So the Yerushalmi is speaking two sides of its mouth. What does the Pasuk mean? Is Yechem Karuchusha, does Yechem Karuchusha mean Cherem? Or does it mean Hefker? Which one is it?
Okay, so those are the questions. One you saw to answer both the questions. There's other questions too, but it's already, I'm not going to bog you down with this. This halacha that the Yushalmi in the Dharm quotes or, or, or deduces, which is that within Khairam, not only is the person excommunicated, but even his property is off limits. No one's allowed to have any pleasure and hanaf in his property. There's a Rajvan in Chuvas. There's a Chuvas Rajvan that quotes this concept. And when he quotes it, he adds a couple words. And by adding these couple words, he opens up the entire Sugitas. This is what the Rajbah says. And the language of the Rajbah is as follows. Shabi Yishalmi Omru, in the Yishalmi it says, that even the property of the person in Cherem is off limits, is Asr Ba'ana. And they're worthy of being destroyed. They have Uriah, and the source of this says the Rajbah is that Pasuk of Yachram Karachush. So again, the words of the Rajbar that the Yushalmi tells us a new concept, which is that the property of a person in Cherem is Asr Bahanot to everyone else, and they're worthy of being destroyed. What does the Rajbah mean by adding those words and they're worthy of being destroyed? Why? The Yushalmi said that his property is Asr Bahanot. The answer is as follows. What the Rajbah is hinting to us is a fundamental idea to understand the entire concept of excommunication. On a simple level, what does it mean, Cherem? Cherem means that let's say Reuven is excommunicated. On a simple level, it means Reuven is still Reuven. Reuven exists. Reuven exists. Reuven is my best friend. Reuven is my cousin. Reuven is my brother. Reuven exists. It just happens to be because of something he did wrong, and now he's being punished by Cherem. It means no one's allowed to talk to him. No one's allowed to associate with him. I'm not even allowed to have any benefit from his property. But Reuven and his property still exist. Says the Raj, but that's not the site of Cherem. The fundamental, the fundamental idea of cherem is, it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. What cherem means is that Chazal are establishing on this person that as far as everyone else is concerned, Ruvain doesn't exist. Ruvain doesn't exist. His property doesn't exist. He doesn't have a metzias. I mean, things have a metzias. Things are real. Things are you could you know you can't you can't walk through Ruvain. So physically, he's there. But in halacha, what cherem means is that he is gone. There is no ruvain anymore. And this is what the Rajma is trying to say. When this, when, 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 a, when the Yerushalmi says that a person in cherem, not only is he off limits, his property as well, the concept is not that there, there are no apples of ruvain. Royally avdan, they're worthy of being obliterated. They're, they're lost. They simply don't exist anymore vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. The reason why no one is allowed to have benefit from Ruvain's property is because by having benefit from his property, you're acknowledging its existence. You, the halach of Cherem is, Ruvain doesn't exist, his property doesn't exist. Chazal went and took out of Ruvain his metzias. And Chazal went and took out of Ruvain's milk carton in his fridge, Chazal took out of it its metzias. This is why, let's go back, this is why Chazal saw it necessary to add halachas of Avelos on a, on a person in Cherem. Why? What's the nature of Avelos? None of us should experience it. Mashiach should come, and Gendim. But Rav Tzaddik writes that the nature of a person in, sitting in Shiva is that he doesn't, he doesn't want to exist. And Rav Tzaddik explains in a few places, he says that's why the Avel doesn't go, go to work. He doesn't shower, he doesn't have a haircut, he doesn't even wear shoes, he doesn't even sit on the full floor. He's trying to express his pain over his loss. And what he's feeling is a lack 
he doesn't want to exist. The fact that, God forbid, he lost a close relative means that there's a part of him that's lost. And him existing in the world, on some level, it, to him, might feel like he's betraying his relative. And halacha, therefore, gives expression to that feeling of nothingness, that feeling of being lost, that feeling of not having mitzias. And that's what Avelos is about. Avelos is about expressing that feeling of the other, which is, I don't exist, I don't want to exist, I just want to disappear. Chazal understood that when it comes to a cheyrem, that's what cheyrem is. Cheyrem is that the person is no longer viewed as existing. Chazal went metaphysically and took away from him his metzias. And this is why Chazal found it necessary to put upon him the lachas of Avelis, because just remaining with the derice of don't talk to him might not convey the true essence of what just took place by him. By putting Avelis upon him, what Chazal are making clear is what, what is going on with a person. He's no, there is no Ruven anymore. There is no Ruven. There are no Ruven's apples. There's no milk container Ruven. He doesn't, it's all gone. It's like a vacuum, lost. And in truth, if you think about it, as I mentioned from Targum Yonis and Ben Ozil, Kairach's punishment was what? Is that he swallowed up from the earth. But he descends into the abyss alive. It says in Pasuk, he'll be lost from the assembly. Like, why does he have to be punished in such a way? If you want to kill Kairach, so, uh, I mean, without you know, maybe being vulgar, like, Hashem can make his head explode. I don't know. It could be all sorts of ways for him to die. Why this way? The answer is because it wasn't, it wasn't a Chiv Misa. See, when a person is Chiv Misa, there's still a person. He's still, he, he's a, he exists. He's just obligated to die. So there's a Chiv Misa upon him. But Kairach, it wasn't, the response to Kairach was not, there's a Kairach, but he, we're going to punish him with death. No, no. The response to Kairach is, there is no Kairach. There is no Kairach. There's no Metzias. He All he is is just a clump of, of, of chemicals. Like I'm, when I was a kid in the, in, the, in, the, in the fifth grade science books, it says that if you like boil down a human being to chemicals, it was like $1.45, right? Okay, so now it's like four and a half dollars, whatever it is, right? So it's a little bit more. But at the end of the day, the punishment of the punishment of Karach was cherem to an extreme, where literally Karach is no longer in existence. He's lost from the assembly, and this is why. Let's go back to that question we had from the Rishonim. What does it mean Yechron Kol Ruchusha? The answer is Yechron Kol Ruchusha means that that a person doesn't show up in three days, like the like the story goes over there. He will be put in cherem, and his property will be put in cherem. And what does that mean to be put in cherem? <clears throat> to be put in cherem means. That he will that he will no longer have mitzias. He won't have mitzias. His property won't exist. That itself also tells you hefker bezin hefker, because what does hefker bezin hefker mean? Hefker bezin hefker means that this is my milk carton, and no one's allowed to touch and affect the nature of my milk carton. The hefker bezin hefker says you're not in control of your property. Chazal could override your personal control. Chazal could go into your fridge and take your milk carton, and that's exactly what you see by cherem. Because what you see by Sherem is, is that Chazal can literally go and take your milk carton and, and flush it down the toilet and make it not exist. The, the, it, it's not just Chazal are saying that no one's allowed to touch your milk carton. Chazal are coming into your, into your fridge and destroying your milk carton. And that means that your private property is being overridden by Chazal's jurisdiction. So the same halacha of what? That Chazal are able to say that a, that a property of a person in Sherem is off limits. That itself tells you that Chazal have jurisdiction over, over everyone's property. 
Because that's what the halach of cherem is, is that your property, I'm, the chazal are coming and destroying your property. Just like no, just like no individual person can come and uh, take your milk carton or, or, or light your uh, farm on fire, God forbid. But Bezin can, because Hefker, Bezin, Hefker, that's literally what Bezin is doing with Cherem. They're literally coming and taking your property away from you and just ripping up, ripping up in front of you. They're, they're making your property cease to exist. That itself tells you Hefker, Bezin, Hefker. It means that Chazal are in charge of properties. They could override personal jurisdiction. So this is the aside. So let's tie it all together. This is the halacha. So now let, let's go back. We saw that Kairach's rebellion was a rebellion against the, the necessity of Nishmas Maisha to be involved in the process of Gula. That's what we saw. Because Kairach understood that if Maisha is going to be involved in the process of Gula, it's going to push off Gula for millennia. And Kairach therefore rebels against Maisha. Right? And the sin of Kairach ultimately is this Indian, which is undervaluing and underappreciating why Moshe Rabbeinu is so necessary with Gula. So the Rabbani Shalom punishes Kairach. Mida kenege mida. You're not machshev Moshe, so I'll show you what life is like without Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm going to show you what Gula will be like without Moshe Rabbeinu, and what happens to Kairach. He's not punished with death. He's not punished with Malchus. He ceases to exist. So what does this tell us about Moshe Rabbeinu? What does this tell us about a Gula that's without a Moshe? versus a gula with a Maishar So let me explain, and with this we'll wrap it up. I know it's late, I'm sorry. We know in the writings of the Maral, there's a big aside, a big principle, which is the following idea, that anything in the world is really a composite of two parts. There's what's called chaymer, the physical matter, the physical material of something, and then there's tzura. Tzura means the inner dimension, the essence of what it is. So let me give you an example. It's a very simple example. And it, it's one of those things, this is a very difficult concept to put into words. So I'm going to try to give you a few mishalom and hopefully the message will get across. Let's say you have a Statue of Liberty, yeah? Okay. So the Statue of Liberty is made of, of, of a metal. It's made of, of uh, what is it, uh, bronze, right? It's made of bronze. So the Statue of Liberty is made of bronze, which means that that's what it's made of. And that particular if you had to define the Statue of, of Liberty from its chaymer, that's what it is. Now, the chaymer, the physical matter of the Statue of Liberty, it could be manipulated. You could melt it down and turn it into something else. You could destroy it. You could move it. But besides the physical chaymer of the Statue of Liberty, there's also the tzura of the Statue of Liberty. There's also the inner dimension the meaning of the statue, what that, what it symbolizes, what its essence is, and what does this, what does it symbolize? Okay, so everyone's the shpach. Give me your, your laws. Give me your, your, your tzibrachin of the people. You know, give me your nevos. That's what that's what the statue of liberty means. So it represents liberty and justice and democracy, all the stuff that the statue of liberty represents. That is the tsura of the statue of liberty. See, the nature of tsura is a funny dynamic. On the one hand. It's ultimately the very core and the very essence of something. See, the matter, the chaymer, the material, it's malleable. It's malleable. It's, it's, it, it's manipulable. You can change it. You could alter it. If, you can, if, if the bronze of the Statue of Liberty can be turned into the statue of a dog, then it already means that even as the statue, that, that's not, that, that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't fully have an existence as a Statue of Liberty. Because you could turn it to something else. So it, 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 is it real? 
is a statue of liberty real from the perspective of its chaymer? The answer is no. Because chaymer by its very definition is something that doesn't have a depth to it. It doesn't have its own identity. All it is, is whatever you make of it. So today it's a statue of, of, of a woman holding a book with a tiara, and tomorrow it's, it, it's, 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 it turns into something else. It, 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 it never has an identity. It doesn't have a metzias. The metzias of it is the tzura. Now, what is that tzura? Undefinable, indefinable, not, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, but you know it. You know what it is. It's what it means to you. It's, it's what's being expressed through the chaim. It's the neshama within the guf. And by the way, when even if you were to destroy the Statue of Liberty, all you can destroy is the chaymer, the tzur you can never touch. Because even if you dismantle the, the material and the bronze you melt down, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't touch the tzur. You took away the chaymer, and the male, the tzur, doesn't have any way of expressing itself. But the tzur you never touch. The tzur you never touch. In the Rise of the Maral, the Maral says, that Moshe Rabbeinu is the tzura of the Jewish people. See, it says in Pasuk regarding Moshe Rabbeinu, that it says in Pasuk, no one knows where Moshe is buried. Right? No one knows where Moshe is buried. The Vilna Gain said that in Chazal, the word ish is always a cover for Moshe, which means, means that even Moshe doesn't know where Moshe is buried. It means who is Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu represents everything that's real about Yiddishkeit. Moshe Rabbeinu represents everything that's essential about Yiddishkeit. And guess, guess what? That which is real about Yiddishkeit, that which is essential about Yiddishkeit is something you cannot touch. It's something, it's not the Chaymer. It's not the Chaymer. See, what's the mitzvah of Tzulun? There's the Chaymer of Tzulun, and then there's the Tzur of Tzulun. The Chaymer of Tzulun, we know what the Chaymer is. The Chaymer is the box of Tzulun, the leather straps, with the parashiyas, and there's the chaymer of Levi, of Hanachas Tzvillin. The chaymer of the mitzvah of Hanachas Tzvillin is the physical wrapping of Tzvillin. We know what that looks like. But then there's the tzura of Tzvillin. But that's not really what Tzvillin are. The chaymer is not what Tzvillin are. Vaharaya, because that, that chaymer, if I, if I take it apart, then I could turn it into a pair of shoes. So then what happened to the Tzvillin? So, so that tells you that it never really was Tzvillin. So what was it? It was a piece of leather. What happens to be right now, it looks like film. And in a second from now, it could look like a pair of shoes. It was never anything. It's not real. So what is it? What is film then? Film is Maishar Abbeinu. The soul of Maishar Abbeinu is what gives the Jew the ability to be able to touch and come in contact with the tzura of film, the tzura of Yiddishkeit, the essence of Yiddishkeit, what Yiddishkeit is, not what Yiddishkeit looks like, but what Yiddishkeit is. What would Gula look like if, it, if we didn't have Maishar Abayim? You know what Gula would look like? Mashiach would look like exactly how the Rambam describes it. The Rambam at the end of Sefer of Mishnah Torah, Hilchus Malach, talks about Gula, right? He says, you know, when Mashiach comes, there's no wars, and everyone has enough food, and there's peace. It's all Gavaldi. Everything that you can describe about Gula, that's all the Chaimer of Gula, you understand? That's the material, it's the matter. It's what you can... It's what you could point to with a finger and say, oh, this is Mashiach. Mashiach means there's no wars. But that's not, that's only the Chaymer of Gula. If we didn't have Nishmas Mashiach Hasvashalam, then that's all Gula would look like. Gula would be, we would be the same people. Our experience 
what reality is would be the same. It would just mean that there's peace on earth and everyone is just living a long life and prospering. But what reality is would be the same. With my, just as Maisha Rabbeinu is the neshama through which we're able to perceive and experience the tzura of Yiddishkeit, then we need Maisha Rabbeinu to give us the ability to perceive the tzura of Gula. Just as there's a chaymer of Gula, there's the tzura of Gula. And what is the tzura of Gula? The tzura of Gula, the essence of Gula means not simply that there's no wars anymore and there's no famines and there's no pestilence and everyone's happy. That's the Chaymer of Gula. The Tzur of Gula is, like the Ramam says, Yesigu Das Bayram, that we'll be given eyes to see reality as our Creator sees things. There are two different ways to look at reality. You can look in the world as a physical world that's created by a Bayram. And who is that God? I don't know. Like a Santa Claus sitting on some cloud somewhere, taking notes, making sure I do mitzvahs and I don't do Averis. And he's going to come one day with reindeer and, and give me presents down my chimney. That's the Rabbani The Geula comes and says that, that Moshe, Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu shows us what Yiddishkeit is. Moshe Rabbeinu shows us who God is. And Moshe Rabbeinu shows us what reality is. Reality is not a physical world that, that was created by some being out there somewhere else. We have to make sure we're on his good side. Moshe Rabbeinu, the tzu, what, what's going to happen with Geula is that we're going to be able to finally see reality as God sees, which is Einoi all there is is him. And all of reality is just a manifestation, an unpackaging of his presence. Instead of the Rabbani Shalom being some concept out there, the Geula with Maishu Rabbeinu, or Maishu Rabbeinu to Geula means that instead of the Rabbani Shalom being a concept out there that takes care of you and provides for you and punishes you, all there is is God. And everything else is a concept. So instead of the world being being the table is the table is, is, is real. And God is a concept. Geula means the Rabbani Shalom is real. The table is a concept. And that is something that ultimately we need Maisha Rabbeinu for. And this is exactly why Kairach's rebellion, why Kairach was destroyed with Cherem. Because what again, what is Cherem? Kairach was punished by what? By his very existence being taken away. Not being punished with death. There is no Kairach anymore. Because that's what happens to a Yiddishkeit, and that's what happens to a Geula when, when you're missing a Moshe Rabbeinu. Then the very essence of what Geula is is taken away, and all you're left with is just the physical matter. And physical matter never is real. The physical matter was always manipulable. It's always malleable. It doesn't have a mitzvah. What does it mean a person in Cherem, he doesn't have an existence anymore? It means his tzura is removed. All is left with is an empty shell. He's just a $1.49 of, of chemicals. And then those, that dollar for our chemicals, so it could be a human being, you turn into a dog also, it's an afternoon. The tzura of who the person is, Ba'etzem, that's my Shervein. That's the Nakud of my Shervein. So let's go back. So the Vilna going taught us that in order for there to be a Gula Shlema, we have to hit two quotas. You have to have Yiddishkeit, you have to have Kali Yisrael performing to our mitzvahs and offering up the Rabbani Shlom, Torah and mitzvahs and avoid the Messias Nefesh. And like the, the Nomi Melch had that vision of a third base Amigdash with every single brick laid properly, it's all Gavaldic. That's all the Chaymer of Gula. But at the same time, there's another quota that needs to be met, and that quota is the quota of Maishu Rabbeinu. And that quota of Maishu Rabbeinu builds not the bricks of the Beis HaMikdash, but it gives us the Aran of the Beis HaMikdash. The Aran is the Tzura of Beis HaMikdash. The Aran means that without the Aran, everything's very, very nice. Everything's very, very nice. 
It's like the story when, when the Jewish people first came back to, to rebuild the second base of Migdash, and after it was dedicated, so it says in Pasuk over there, in Sefer Ezra Nechemia, that the young people were celebrating, but you know, the Golis was not that long, it was only 70 years, so he had some older Yidden that remember the first. So the young people are celebrating, and the uh, older people that remember the first base of Migdash, they begin to cry, and they're crying so loud, the cry, crying actually was louder than the celebration. Why are they crying? Because they're seeing the young people celebrate, and the young people are celebrating because this is Beis Hamikdash, and you know the second Beis Hamikdash didn't have an arm, and the second Beis Hamikdash was beautiful on the outside, everything it needed. The Chaimer was mamish there, but you know what was missing? The Tzura. There was no Navua, There was no Ruchakaydish. In the second Beis Hamikdash, God was still an idea, and the world was reality. It was missing its Tzura, and this is ultimately. What, what, what the older Yidin were, mo- were mourning over, which is, this is not Gula. This is a Gula where you hit all the quotas of Torah Mitzvahs, but there's no Moshe, there's no Pneumius, there's no soul to it. And when there's no, from the perspective of, of, of the soul, the Chaymer doesn't exist. The Chaymer, the Peretfilin, it comes, you could turn into whatever it is. So even when it's Tfilin, it's not it's not Tfilin. It's not Tfilin. And this is ultimately what we're davening for. We're davening for that there should be a gula, but it should be a gula shlema. That it should be a gula that comes not at the, not at the expense of our ability of truly experiencing what gula really is and what Yiddishkeit really is and what reality really is. What we're davening for is that it should come in Meher Abiyamenu, is that that quote of Moshe Rabbeinu should be satisfied quickly. But we don't want to sacrifice not even an inch on that on that, on that quote, on that, on that benchmark of Maisha Rabbeinu. Because if you sacrifice an inch on that benchmark of Maisha, then the gula that you're going to experience is superficial, it's chitzayni, and it's not real. It's cherimut. It's Reuven walking around, but Reuven doesn't really exist. It's Reuven has a property, but his property doesn't really exist. Maisha Rabbeinu is what makes things real. It's the soul of Yiddishkeit. It's the pnimius of Torah that makes Yiddishkeit real. Without that, now, certainly without the Chaymer, the Tzur doesn't have expression either. But with but Chaymer by itself is Gewaldic. But that's something, that a Beis HaMikdash, that's pure Chaymer, without Surah. That's without an Aron HaKadosh, that's the second Beis HaMikdash. That's a Beis HaMikdash to mourn over. That's not a Gula Shleim. It's not a Gula Shleim. So what's our Avoidah? And what's your Avoidah? Again, like I said in the beginning, when we, before we began, I don't know much about the Shul or the Chevra. That's Hashem, I hope to get to know you guys a little bit more over time. But from what I hear, from what I hear, and from what I know from some of, about some of you, is that, that, that what you're looking for is the same thing I'm looking for, which is a Besmejish, a Kehila, a Chevra, a generation that's desperate for Tzura. That's desperate for Tzura. You see, you have to know, our generation gets a very bad rap. Our generation is known for a few things. One of them, on the top five things, is superficiality. Chitzainius, superficiality, childishness, immaturity, that's, you know, and people are stressed and anxious and all sorts of issues, and it's like, for what? You have everything in the world, you have, not, you have nothing to complain about. So let me tell you something, there's one way, you, so you can look at that and, and say, okay, Taka, we're a bunch of immature babies, or you can realize the truth, which is, okay, that means that if, th- that means that what the generation really needs and really wants is depth. If I'm if I'm if I'm opening a restaurant, and I go down uh, Central Avenue or Main Street or whatever your main thoroughfare is, 
and there's like 10 Fleischig restaurants. Every other store is like a shawarma place. Then guess what I'm not opening up? I'm not opening up a shawarma place. What am I going to open up? A milchid restaurant. So if you have a generation whose reputation is superficiality, then guess what you want? What store do you want to open? You want to open a store that sells panemius. You want to open a store that sells depth and sells surah, that gives over Maishar Abeinu. That's a vehicle for Maishar Abeinu. That's what you want. And guess what? You'll have all the customers in the world coming to that store. Because, because th 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 that's what they're really looking for. If everyone, if, if everyone is just eating fleshics all day, then eventually you want milchics. And if everyone's eating milchics all day, then you want fleshics. That's what the generation wants, that the generation needs. And this is the biggest simon for Gula, is that we need, as, as Yidin of our generation, Tashim Beveis, to make sure that the Gula, the gula comes, the Meher of which means with more Torah, more mitzvahs, more Avaida, more Black Gemara, more Mishnayas, more Tehillim, more Chesed, more Nicham Avelim, more Bikr Chaylim, more Chesadim, more Hatzalah, you name it. But at the same time, every single time you do a mitzvah, it's with Tzura. And it's with recognition that what I'm putting on, which is a pair of tefillin, I don't know what tefillin are, and I, and I dive into Rabbanu Shalom that the essence of tefillin should be somehow revealed to me. And the tzura of Yiddishkeit should be revealed to me, that I should know who I am. I should be able to see reality for what it is, that God shouldn't just be a concept, but God should be real. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu brings to us. Ashreinu matoichal that we were given a schos to be talmidim and talmidim and talmidim of Moshe Rabbeinu. You know what Moshe Rabbeinu means? Moshe Rabbeinu is not just our Rebbe. Moshe Rabbeinu is not just our Rebbe that through whom we're able to know Gemara, we're able to know Halacha. Moshe Rabbeinu gives us the kaiches to be able to truly experience Yiddishkeit on the deepest of levels and to experience Gula on its deepest of levels, not just on the outside, not to be able to be, you know, like in a zoo or something where you're like, you can sort of see through that glass, but you're not really there. That, that would be Chaymer B'lit Tzura, but a Tzura de Kegula, Maishu Rabbeinu gives us the ability to be mamish, it's a bad marshal to be in the zoo, you understand what I'm saying, but to be, you know, to, to mamish experience the thing itself, to mamish be there, not to be a guest at someone else's simcha. To mamish be the bal simcha himself, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. So our, our, our collective avoida as yechidim, as, as, as a tzibur, as a generation, is to not, not to buy in, not to buy in to our own reputations, not to buy in into the reputations and the you know, stereotypes that we label for ourselves and we label for everyone else, which is a yeah, bunch of babies, a bunch of superficial, a superficial brat generation. It's not good true. But because of that, it means it's open territory for peace. And a little bit of truth, everyone will, mamish, they'll be lining, lining up to be able to be kind of that little bit of truth of Maishu Rabbeinu. Hashem will show, the Rabbanish was going to show very, very soon that it's not for the generation that seems to be the most superficial, the more chitzayni, and the ones that are, that are, the, 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 the lack, you know, everything that earlier generations had, it's Davka, that generation, that's the biggest klikibol for tzura, for Moshe Rabbeinu, no, Zaycha, to be able to experience the gula shlema, the gula shlema, the meher of Yemeno, in all ways, that, that, that just as the Rabbani Shalom said, bita chishena, to experience that, the gula shlema with the chaymer, with tzura, the pnimias, with the chitzainis, with gufa, with nefesh, and the hair of Yemeno, amen.